So what is it that makes God's design for your life so amazing? Well, it's all by grace, as we'll see next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Grace. It is so amazing that our chorus books, our praise songs, and our hymn books are chock full of the subject of grace. And today, we'll focus in on this grace and why it makes God's design for your life such an amazing design. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard as we continue our series, God's Design for Life. We're looking at the foundation of this design in that it is all by grace. Please join us. For this edition of Truth For Today, here's Pastor Phil Howard. Well, we're going to look at a um, classic passage today. Uh, I'm afraid to say it too soon, but it's this way. My dad used to tell me, he said, you know how you can tell a great singer? And I said, how's that? He said, he picks great songs. And if you've got any preaching, you, you ought to be able to preach Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If you can't, you just ain't a preacher. So you'll judge me later, I know. Look at this. We pick it up in verse 4. He's told what a pitiful condition we were in when God found us. And he said we were dead. We were disobedient. Then he said, but God loved us. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Not going to be, maybe, I'm holding on, holding out, letting go, holding on. I'm saved. Just say the grammar. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We'll pick up verse 10 next week, but we want to look at verse 8 and 9. Somebody said to me today, are we still in Ephesians? I said, get, get a hold, get a clue. We're going to be here as long as we feel led. If we go to heaven on Ephesians, why? Ephesians or Romans, you'll make it. Uh, why rush it? I've been waiting for years to say this stuff. Um, You've got to know Ephesians is strikes a blow to all works systems. And there is such syncretism in world religions. And even you get with groups. I couldn't tell you clearly the night I got saved what all it took to be saved. I knew it was Jesus. I already knew he died for me. I was under conviction for sure for my sins. But if I had to articulate my faith in those early months, even afterwards, sometimes uh, we get this in first base when people write their testimonies. 
Sometimes it's unclear. Well, I did this, or I was baptized as a child, and I've always been a Christian, and and stuff that isn't true but sincere. Uh, And people cannot articulate exactly how they got saved. You were saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves. Now, you want to know this for sure because the cults, our work system, the, the world religions, everything but Christianity is a works system to get you to heaven. There's five marks of a cult, and I thought you ought to just note these uh, because we hear so much religious, we're all going to heaven. Well, who cares if it's this group or that? And uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a framework to measure truth and error. Anthony Hokima in his book, The Four Major Cults, gives these five characteristics. Cults have an extra scriptural authority. Uh, That is, they trust traditions, they trust uh, dogmas, they've got other writings, the Book of Mormons, the Koran, Mary Baker Eddy, uh, uh, even uh, if you trusted Ellen White's writings over the Bible, that makes you cultic. We are the people, the true faith is of one book, the Bible. We don't need the Watchtower edition. We got, we got the original edition translated into our language. Quite frankly, nobody's got the original. We only got Greek and Hebrew. That's as close as we get, but they're fairly reliable sources and everybody's operating off of a translation. But we're saying this, what the Bible says determines what we believe and practice without any other, the Lord said, I wrote a book, uh, I got a prophecy, I got a dream. This is what we believe for our faith. So when someone wants to fuss with you about your faith, says, you better crack open a Bible. Matter of fact, if you don't like things in the church, if you don't like the color of something, you need to grow up get over it. You just got a different taste. And we can never win in battles of taste. In the matter of taste, there is no argument. If I like vanilla more than chocolate, who's to say who's more right? And so a lot of stuff in church is just your taste, but Bible has nothing to do with it. You're just skewed wrong. You're not even wrong. You just got a different taste. But when it comes to settling things, is it biblical? That's what we want to always, what does the Bible say? I remember one time a, a man and I were having a disagreement on something, so he picked me up to take me to the restaurant. We were going to settle this. As we got in the car, I brought my Bible. As soon as I laid it down on the seat, he said, this is unfair. <laughs> I said, what do you mean it's unfair? He said, well, you're, you're bringing the Bible. I said, well, you said you got a difference. We're going to settle it by the book. Well, no, I didn't want to settle it that way. I just want to get my way. Oh, your way in the book, is it? You want what the Bible says, don't you? Well, no, I want my way. And uh, always pack a King James Bible. Oh, no, just pack a Bible, and you'll scare most Christians. Uh, Second thing, uh, cults deny justification, or you would take it salvation by grace or by faith alone. They deny that. It's always Christ plus something else. It's always put faith in Christ, plus you've got to keep a bunch of stuff. It's Christ plus good works. It's never salvation by grace through faith alone. And you want to put the alone there. 
Cults always devalue Christ. They'll, they'll uh, deny his humanity, deny his deity, uh, deny the full implication of his cross work, what all it accomplished. And so they'll always devalue some aspect of the deity of Christ. So watch for a cult in that area. They always mess with the person and work of Christ. Uh, cults believe they are the only ones that are saved. And unless you belong to their group, you're not saved. That is a cultic uh, doctrine and a cultic teaching. Now, you'll get people who will make fun of Christianity and say, well, there are so many denominations among youth. You guys are fussing and fighting all the time. Uh, let, let's make a distinction here. We may have different labels that we go under. Let's say a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal, and a Baptist. Now, there's different labels, right? If you ask all three of those groups, how do you get to heaven? They say, Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone. Grace alone. Well, why can't we all get into the same label? Well, our group likes uh, this certain form of church government. We like to sprinkle, and the Baptists, or we like to immerse. We believe that's what the Bible says. So we differ over minors, not over majors. And, and God seems to put up with it and lets us do it. Now, some of you would die for a label, but who cares what label you put on an empty can? It's not the label that saves, it's what's in the can. If that's too deep for you, I'll explain that. <laughs> Your label won't get you to heaven. You can go to hell and be a Baptist. A lot of Baptists going to hell. But they're not going to hell because of what the Baptists teach. They're just going to hell with a nice label, but no content. They just show up on Sunday, pay their dues, and go on, live like they want. A lot of Presbyterians are going to miss heaven. But they won't miss heaven because Calvin didn't teach them how to be saved. The label won't get you to heaven. Christ alone saves. Someone told Spurgeon, they asked him, what are you? He said, well, if you ask me what I am, he said, I like to say by ecclesiology, I'm a Baptist. By theology, I'm a Calvinist. But if you really want to know what I am, I'm a Christian. That's my favorite title. But the cults will always say, we're the only ones that's got it. And uh, that's cultic. And so you put, uh, and that's where I would not cooperate with certain groups to do anything religiously because I don't believe they're saved or that they're the only ones going. That's an exclusive cultic characteristic. Fifth thing is uh, cults believe they have a central role in future events, prophetic events, that they're going to play a major role. Like Jehovah's Witnesses, we are the 144,000 of the last days. That would be an example. Uh, and so they put themselves in that camp. Now, there's four things I want, just giving you a little church history here. We're not with the text. We'll get there. Uh, but when the Reformation came about in the 1500s, the church had gotten so fouled up over 15 years of development, they developed all these barnacles on the church, as it were. And there was an admixture of works. Uh, there was added church councils and doctrines and traditions and Pretty soon, you wouldn't know what you ought to believe or what you ought to do. And out of the Reformation with Luther, Melanchthon, Calvin, and some of these great giants of the 1500s, they came up with four hallmarks of Reformation theology. Protestants, known for this. They went to the stake for this. 
They died for this. Four things. The sola, we're just giving you in the Latin terms. Sola scriptura. I'm under the authority of scripture, not popes, councils, preachers, committees. Scripture only is to rule the people of God. Not even men, not even preachers. We of the Reformation are under a book. Men are not over the book. You, me, popes, anybody. Christ has revealed his mind through a book. This is what we base our doctrine and teaching on to the best of our ability. Sola Scriptura. Scripture only. Second thing. Sola fide or sola fides. Faith alone saves. Faith alone. Not penance. Not sacraments. Not blessings from clergymen. Not buying something. Faith alone makes you right with God. Faith in Christ only. Faith alone. If you add anything you're under a curse. If we or an angel from above preach to you any other gospel than what we preach, that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and those who believe in him are saved, if you preach any other gospel, you're under a divine curse, Galatians 1.6. That's why you've got to know what the Bible teaches. It's not good enough to know what your aunt, your uncle, your dad says. What does God say for himself? Thirdly, Sola gratia, grace only. No one goes to heaven because they're a nice person. Nice people are the greatest enemies to salvation there is. They're too nice to come to Christ. It's why God usually saves rowdies, because your niceness can send you to hell. You've got to say, I can only be saved through grace alone in Christ alone. And that's the fourth thing, Christ alone. Not any other uh, way to heaven. Not through Buddha, not through Shindo, not through animism, not through animal sacrifices, not through Judaism, not, not through Muslim. That didn't even start till 600 AD. It's through Christ alone. Those four alone do you want to know. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. That alone gets you to heaven. The grace of God through faith, through Christ only. Now let's look at six things about this great salvation that the text gives us. First of all, God's salvation is by grace. For by grace you have been saved. What is grace? Many define it. I give you a little acrostic here. I love this one. God's riches at Christ's expense. God giving you something you could not earn. God giving you something uh, that ought to surprise you because he gave us the opposite of what we deserved. He said in the first three verses, we were dead in sin. We were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature energized by Satan. And instead of God making us objects of his wrath, he steps in and he pours out grace kindness and love, the total unexpected response of God to our sin. He gave grace instead of wrath. And so grace 
is the only way God could find to populate heaven. It's by grace you have been saved. Uh, the issue is how could God be gracious to the sinner and at the same time maintain his righteous, holy character? His, the only answer to the dilemma, I want to be gracious to the guilty, but I want to maintain my character. And the only solution was I'll have to crucify my son. That's exactly what Romans says. How can God be just to justify the ungodly? He said, I'll take the unjust man or woman's sins. I'll transfer them to my son, but there must be penalty. There must be wrath. There must be judgment, but I can choose to let it fall on someone other than the guilty. I'll let it fall on my son. That is grace. And that's how God is free to populate heaven with people like you and I who are guilty in our sins, lost in sin and transgressions. And then all of a sudden we get up from a prayer meeting or getting saved at a meeting says, I'm going to heaven. And someone says, especially the devil, how can you maintain your character and let them go to heaven and get off scot-free? God says, I can be gracious to my enemies as long as my son pays and dies in their place. So penalty has fallen and God is free to give grace. I love the story of a man by the name of Bob Thiem. Uh, rigid, brilliant, uh, cocky, uh, but quite a guy. And uh, he went to Dallas Seminary and graduated. And Lewis Chafer used to always give a test on the riches of divine grace in which he enumerated 33 things you get the moment you're saved. Well, that was a big uh, test question. Uh, the whole test, I think, wrote on those 33 things. And uh, uh, Bob, being the brilliant kind of guy he was, he wrote 34 things. And had that like nothing to it. So one day he goes to the uh, student mailboxes and he reaches in, pulls out his exam, A. I mean, you know, aced it. No big deal. Well, Another student, and you may have been there before, just froze at the test. Barely came up with half of them. And this guy came to his box, his theme was there, and he pulls out this paper. And you see all these blank spots and everything. And so old theme, nosy like he was, he asked the student, how did you do? He said, man, I froze. I just, I could, I could come up with them. You know, what can I say? I'm brilliant. I'm good. He said, well, I guess you failed, huh? The guy opens his paper, A. And Lewis had written in Greek, chi, rho, iota, sigma, charis. I am free to bestow grace anytime I want. You got an A. And theme was hot and mad because he earned his grade. But this other just got straight grace. And that's what God is free to do. Since Christ paid, he's free to show grace on anyone he chooses and maintain his character. Well, the second thing is God's salvation is received by faith. 
Spurgeon said, faith is the empty hand that receives the gift of God. Faith in faith doesn't save. You get some people and they'll say, well, I got faith. Well, so what? Well, faith, my faith saved me. No, it doesn't. Faith in faith doesn't save. But faith is the empty hand. It just stretches out and says, I receive the grace gift you want to give me. But just because I'm willing to open my hand to receive the gift, my salvation isn't attributed to my great faith. Because we're going to find out even the faith happens to be a gift from God. But it's the empty hand that reaches out and says, I receive what you offer in grace, kindness, and benevolence. And so it's the instrument by which we come into the family of God, believing God. Faith relies on what another has done. Faith relies, faith is no better than the object it trusts. You can have strong faith all day in the wrong object and it won't save you. There's some folks got more faith in the wrong object than some of you do in the right object. They believe stronger in their ability, uh, their pursuits, whatever it is, their religion maybe, than you. I see so many saints, uh, they're barely hanging on to omnipotence. They're just, we all, we brag on each other, say, how are you doing today? Well, I'm trusting him today. Woo, let's all brag on him. We're trusting omnipotence today. What else is there to trust? Well, man, I, I keep taking it back from him. You know, I, I trust him. I get to feeling good. And then I just, I like to have three days of doubt, one day of faith. It's just kind of my recipe. Said, hey, you've got the only object that can't fail. You've got the only object of faith that comes through. Trust anything else, including yourself, and you'll meet with failure. But faith, saving faith, rests in the strength of the object. It just relies on what God says he can do not on what I can do. You want to see this illustrated? Genesis, an old man in his 90s. He just delivers his nephew Lot. He's hiding in a Bedouin tent, afraid of reprisals. And he's there with an aging woman post-menopause. This woman can't have any children. She's barren, been barren all their marriage. Listen to what Newell says. There was no honor or merit in Abraham's believing the faithful God who cannot lie. The honor was God's. When Abraham believed God, he did the one thing a man can do without doing anything. There was no effort here. Abraham's faith was not an act, but an attitude. His heart turned away from himself and this barren wife of his to God and his promise. Faith was neither a meritorious act by Abraham nor a change of character or nature in Abraham. He simply believed God would accomplish what he had promised. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And he says, I believe you. You said you can do it. Do it. And salvation is that way. God said, I have borne your sins. I have crucified my son. I have raised him from the dead, and I'm gracious. I've sent preachers for you to hear the gospel. And when you hear, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever puts faith in Christ, I'll save. 
It will be on me to keep my promise. You just got to believe me. Believe me. And faith is the empty hand that says, if you promised, I believe you'll accomplish it. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called God's Design for Your Life. As we close the program out, we would invite you to contact us if you would like to obtain a copy for yourself of either today's message or the entire series. Call us today, 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. While you have us on the phone, ask us about our Truth For Today listener celebration event coming up June 4th. Save that date. Mark it off on your calendar and join us. It's a Saturday, 4.30 in the afternoon till 7.30 here at Valley Bible Church at the Family Life Center. Join us for a celebration of God's goodness to the Truth For Today ministry since 1997. That's almost 20 years. What an amazing time that we've had together studying God's Word and growing in His grace, and we want to celebrate that. So won't you join us? Again, save the date, June 4th, 4.30 to 7.30, here at Valley Bible Church at the Family Life Center. Again, information can be had at 855 833 9864, or simply visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like a copy of today's program, a prayer request, maybe you would like to partner with us financially, we would love to hear from you. Call, drop by our website, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, God bless.